Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out last week's episode with Chelsea and Marie of the Sad Girls Aquatics Club. If you're one of the people who listened to that conversation, I hope you enjoyed it and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. So, what's shaking? How's everybody's week going? My week's been pretty fun. We had that Sykes and the New Violence show this Friday at the Smiling Moose with our friends in Abstract Theory, Walkman, and BB Guns. Due to some circumstances with the venue and the the early show that evening, our show ended up getting pushed back about an hour and a half or so, but the show still happened. People still came out and everybody seemed like they had a good time. So if you were there, I really appreciate you for sticking out past your bedtime and coming. There was a few people that were actually happy that it was pushed back because they had work and other obligations keeping them you know, from getting to the show at the time it was supposed to start. So I guess it was nice for those people. But I also know that there was some people that had came out to the show that ended up leaving early just because they couldn't hang that late. And some people, I think, just got scared off from coming out at all once they heard about it uh, being a later show. So going to try to make it up. We're actually playing again with Sykes and a New Violence in the South Side at Club Cafe next month on March 16th. I'll get into some upcoming dates later about that. But if you want a chance to see us and you are a South Sider of the Pittsburgh area and you didn't get to catch us this weekend, you got an opportunity next month. So hopefully you come out for that. And that's an early show next month by the way so definitely if you are a uh, if you're a sleepy person and you can't stay up late this one's an early one so moving on another thing that's going on this weekend uh, we're actually in the middle of recording with Greywalker uh, a few episodes ago I had a two-parter with my friend Sid Riggs and we're actually tracking with him right now I'm heading over there in a couple hours I'm doing vocals today that should be fun. We're working on a little surprise track. I'm not going to say much more than that, but uh, it's sounding really great, and working with Sid has been an awesome experience, so I'm excited to be able to share that with all of you whenever the time comes and we finish the track. Last week on the show, as I mentioned earlier, I had Sad Girls Aquatics Club, and they just dropped a music video this weekend. It came out on Friday for their song, Oh Billy. It's a really fun video. The song's really catchy, and if you haven't listened to that album yet, you should really check it out. It's called Vodka Wine. It's available on Spotify and all your streaming platforms, and the video is available on YouTube and Facebook and all that stuff. Look them up. Sad Girls Aquatics Club, Chelsea Marie. I had a blast talking with them. They're both really nice, super talented, really good band. So if you're into good things and nice people, highly recommended from me. Yes. Let's see. Uh, some upcoming shows. Got a couple dates this month coming up. This Friday, February 15th, I'm going to be on my DJ shit for MySpace night at Brilla Box. If you've been to a MySpace night before, you know what it is. It's essentially a you know mid to late 2000s dance party featuring music from a wide variety of genres. You know everything from My Chemical Romance to Soldier Boy and anything in between. So if you're, you know, if you grew up in the MySpace era and have a bit of a 
a guilty pleasure connection with some of the songs that were popular in that time frame and you like to dance and maybe have a few drinks with your friends, come on out to MySpace Night, Friday, February 15th at Brillo Box, 10 p.m., $5 cover, 21 up, come on out. And then on the 23rd, we got the polar opposite of MySpace Night. It's going to be Heavy Metal Night at the Warehouse. That is a Grey Walker headlining show at the Get Hip Warehouse where I work. My day job is at Get Hip Records. We're having a metal show there in our new venue space. Grey Walker's headlining. We got our friends in The Breathing Process, Victims of Contagion, and Plague Wielder coming out to play with us. That's going to be a lot of fun if you're into like heavy, fast shit. We're going to have like some beer and stuff if you're into that. Hanging out in the warehouse, throwing back some beers and headbanging. That's the show for you. That's going to be February 23rd, as I mentioned, at the Get Hip Warehouse. That is, I think it's like 7 bucks or 8 bucks to get in. I don't remember. But it's all ages. So come on out to that February 23rd. Mark your calendars. And uh, let's get into some listener questions. What do you say? Cool. Brandon asks... Are voluntary restrictive diets, vegetarian, vegan, gluten-free, whatever, an act of privilege? That's a spicy question, Brandon. Uh, The first thing that comes to mind is that Travis Barker was recently on Joe Rogan's podcast, and I gave it a listen because I'm interested in Travis Barker and the life that he's lived. He's a pretty interesting person. And he talks about in that episode how... You know, he's been vegan for a large chunk of his life, but whenever he got in that really bad plane crash a few years ago and he was in the hospital, he pretty much had to eat meat because there was nothing really available for him on his diet. So if you're thinking about, you know, this being like a social privilege, I guess in some circumstances it totally is to have like a vegan or vegetarian or whatever diet because in his circumstance, you know, like he was in a hospital and he didn't have the privilege of being able to eat, you know, at all and being able to stay healthy. So he had to eat meat in order to keep his body going from what I understand. And, uh, but then there's also like financial privilege when it comes to stuff like this. And I could think of some people that are, you know, like, I guess like a dramatic example would be like some punk people that I know that have been punks living that DIY life, living vegan for a long, long time, like way before, uh, you know, grocery stores had sections dedicated to eating meatless. And there was all these restaurants and things like that. I think, you know, there are people that, you know, were already living pretty like, you know, economically and financially conscious, but also able to achieve a vegan diet on, you know, that, uh, on that sort of a budget. And I guess there's also the privilege of just education and knowledge, you know what I mean? I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand, you know, that eating vegan isn't necessarily that. It it could be pretty unrestrictive, honestly, if you have the knowledge to go with it. Definitely vegetarian, definitely gluten-free, all those things. Like there's a lot of options, but if you don't have you know, the privilege of the access to information to learn about these things, then in that way, I suppose it could also be a privilege. But, you know, like relating it to my diet in the way that I eat, you know, for the past pretty much a decade, I've been 
pretty much a vegetarian. I still eat sushi and fish from time to time. It's definitely, I haven't touched any white meat or red meat, you know, turkey, chicken, beef, any of that stuff since about 2011. I haven't had any of it. I think accidentally I ate, you know, bacon once or twice on things that I had ordered and, you know, it wasn't clarified that I didn't. So it's happened, but not intentionally. Um, do I really feel like it's a privilege for me? Um, you know, socially, uh, not necessarily. I don't know because I think it's just as easy for me to buy meatless as it is meat. You know, I the same people go into the grocery store that are buying whatever they're buying in terms of their normal diets. It's the same store I'm going to. We're probably spending about the same amount of money too. So financially, I don't think it's that really different either because I guess I've had the privilege of learning over time and the access to knowledge of what I can and can't eat and the experience of you know learning how to do it in a way that isn't like financially overbearing. So I suppose ultimately, yes, you know, uh, it's an act of privilege, but I also think we're kind of splitting hairs, you know, uh, watching this video right now, having access to the internet is an act of privilege. Uh, having a, a house to record this podcast in is a privilege, you know, having the shoes that I'm wearing, the shirt that I'm wearing, you know, all of this stuff is a privilege in some way. So I don't know how technical or how nuanced we want to get, but overall, yes, I would say the voluntary restrictive diets are an act of privilege, but in some ways not, uh, I don't know. It just depends on your perspective. Everybody's different in your life situation. Next question. Ryan asks artistic integrity versus playing covers for money. How far is selling out? Uh, you know, the term selling out has always rubbed me the wrong way because I think Anybody has the right to make money however they choose. And if you were to take, you know, the normal person working the normal day job, desk job, food job, whatever, that also happens to be a musician and give them the opportunity to make a couple hundred extra bucks on a weekend, you know, just playing some music with their friends in a bar uh, that they didn't write. Uh, why not? <laughs> like, I don't have a problem with that. I don't think it's selling out, you know putting some extra money in your pocket to help, you know, fund whatever the fuck you want to do in your life outside of that. It's, I have no beef with that. With me personally, I don't play in any cover bands or anything like that, but I do do DJ nights, which is kind of, uh, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar. I'm playing other people's music for a profit in some way, but I mean, that's extra income that I get to put into, you know, funding records I release or paying for this camera equipment or, you know, taking my fucking girlfriend out for a nice night or some shit like that. Like all that money goes into things that are productive in my life. And the way I look at it is, look, if, you know, you're not the person that's, you know, playing in the cover band or if I'm not the person that's, you know, at Brillo Box. DJing, somebody else is going to be in my place making that money. So why not you? Why not me? You know, uh, life's too short. If you have a, a good, honest way to make a living that doesn't uh, affect anybody or hurt the people around you and you're providing a service, you know, entertainment for people that are going out on the weekend or whatever day, do it. Make the money. You're not a sellout. Anybody that thinks you're a sellout is fucking corny. I don't think anybody that um, on the level that, you know, a lot of us are on just being independent 
entrepreneurs in some way and, and trying to, you know, make something, trying to sustain music. Uh, I don't think that's selling out a couple hundred, but <laughs> yeah, making a couple hundred extra bucks on a weekend isn't selling out. It's, it's not. Sorry. Julia asks, oh boy, we got a book. We got a book here. All right, so check this out. I listened to a super in-depth discussion on the origins of metalcore and various other subgenres last week. I myself am admittedly not particularly well-versed in the subject, but after hearing a little more about the history, I kind of get why people have found it necessary to categorize the various idiosyncrasies of metal, hardcore, punk, and whatnot. I've heard a lot of people in the scene scoff at the idea of all the different subcategories and heavy music and would have been inclined to agree that it always seemed a little pretentious to me. Although, I honestly really enjoyed learning about the subject. What's your take? Do you think it's important for artists to have a specific definition of what they play? And how many subcategories do you think are relevant in current times? To me, I think like metal in particular, any style of music, but we'll just say metal. It's like a buffet at an Indian restaurant. Generally speaking, I, I love Indian food, so I'll probably like whatever they have available at the buffet, but it would kind of suck to try and pick out what I wanted to eat if nothing was labeled appropriately on the buffet. So, you know, because it's good to generally have some sort of an idea of what you're getting into before you put it on your plate and eat it. Uh, you know, something might not be even like, uh, fuck. even though like I like Indian food, something you know might not be spicy enough, or something might be too dense to eat a lot of it, <laughs> or uh, something might just be kind of bland and like blah. The that being said, the use of like hyper specific subgenres doesn't really bother me. What bothers me is when people base their opinions of an entire subgenre off of just a couple bad experiences. There are like hundreds of Indian buffets out there, probably thousands. And some of them are going to have some pretty shitty representations of like a chickpea curry or tiki masala. But that doesn't mean that those particular dishes are inherently bad. It all comes down to the cooks and how those cooks choose to present those dishes, how they choose to prepare them. And uh, so my end thought on this topic is that like, while it's probably necessary to label things accordingly so people know what they're eating, I also think people who really care about enjoying new culinary experiences, if you will, or new musical experiences, should never be so quick to dismiss, uh, to, like, dismiss something based off of an inaccurate representation of what the thing is truly supposed to be. So... But, uh, yeah, that's, that's it. You know, metal's an Indian buffet. It's not all, uh, I like Indian food, but you know, all of it isn't good. It's important to have the labels and know what I'm going to eat. But I also think that, you know, sometimes if you find yourself in a new place and there's another, uh, something that looks appealing to you, even if you've had it before and like you weren't into it, you know, don't shut your doors off to something just based off of, you know, past experiences, um, you know, not only do people prepare things different, but over time your tastes grow, your palate changes, you know, the food that I liked 10 years ago is not the same as it is now. And that's honestly the same for music, anything that you are consuming in one way or another. Um, 
you know, if you weren't into like fucking metalcore 10 years ago, there might be a metalcore band out there now that's like exactly right for you. Who knows? You'll never know though, unless you like leave that door open for opportunity and don't always be so quick to dismiss things. But at the same time, I mean, sometimes we do really know our palates and we know what we prefer and like some food just isn't for us. We know it. And that's totally fine too. Like if you know something isn't for you, that's cool. Just don't be a dick about what other people like. Nobody is that important to ever be a dick about what other people like. So just be cool. And if somebody likes something that you don't, don't be shitty about it. And if somebody is shitty to you about something that you like, have some empathy and say like, hey, I'm really sorry. It must be hard to be such a loser. And see where that gets you. (laughs) Oh, one more question. Not really a question. It's more of a request. Mile asks, how many Legends of the Hidden Temple challenges do I have to complete to get on an episode? Well, you... You 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 fucking bodacious blue barracuda of a boy you. Uh just ask and you can come on. You know, we can ch- we can chat about Legends of the Hidden Temple or whatever you want or guitar or anything like that. So if you're listening Miles, just hit me up and we'll we'll link up sometime and we'll fucking do it. We'll bring the camera. We'll chat about some stuff. It'll be tight. And that's going to be it for listener questions today. All right. So moving on to today's episode. I am joined by two members of the band Kiwano Sour, Dylan and Rob. We're going to talk about the history of their band, some cool stuff they have coming up, and uh, hey, you know, meeting people on the internet and talking to strangers and all that stuff. So uh, let's get into the conversation. We'll get into meeting Dylan and Rob, learning about the band, and uh, it's a, it's a, it's fun. It's cool. Talking to people, meeting new people, strangers, stranger danger. Ah, sit back, relax, and let's start the motherfucking beat. That, that cadence was way wrong, but it was kind of tight. Word. Rolling, rolling. All right, here we go. So... Here we are. Now, I have, like, some pretty important questions. What's that? Um, so, I don't know either of you two. Correct. I've never met you before in my life. I've seen I've seen your band play That's a great. couple times, once or twice. But who's Dylan and who's Rob? Dylan. I'm Rob. Good to know, officially, <laughs> for myself and for our viewers. <laughs> Say hi. How's everybody doing today? Happy Sunday. Indeed. For those of you out there that haven't read the episode title or just can't put two and two together, Dylan and Rob are from the band Kiwano Sour. Kiwano Sour. That's Weird. right. So I normally don't do this when I'm describing bands, but the description that is on your Facebook page is so immaculate and perfect. I'm just going to read it verbatim yeah, right I, now. I don't even know it. Kiwano Sour is a Pittsburgh funk band that gets you on your feet. Moving and grooving to a delicious mix of old and new, soulful vocals, downright dirty funk bass, wonder who wrote that, percussive (laughs) guitar, and drums that are tighter than your pants with a tablet in your pocket. A tablet in your (laughs) pants. It all joins together for a journey of sound that will leave you wanting more. Here to make you groove, grooves that make you move. Moving makes you feel alive. Mm, Little rhyme. Yeah. Little, Little... 
lyrical tagline. And that's it. That's it. That's Very tight. Nice. You know, uh, I know that the two of you were not the original anticipated members of the band that we're supposed to be on. So I appreciate mm. you coming in last minute to step in, squad. you know, do the thing for your crew yeah. and all yeah. that stuff. So Dylan and Rob, what are your respective instruments in the band? Actually, I was smart enough to write this down. Dylan plays guitar. Rob plays saxophone. I do. I did my research. Or you told me through text <laughs> message before we got here. So let's get into Kawano Sour a bit. I know it's a relatively new project. It's like under a year old, right? Yeah, Correct. six months or so. And you're getting ready to release an EP, the Boogie Funk Daydream. Yes. Right? right. That's going to be on Valentine's Day that's coming out. And you're doing your album release show on February 16th at Cativo. So when did the band get started last year? Like around what time was that? I joined, uh, I think early April, um, uh, via just like a Pittsburgh musicians, uh, collective page. Oh really? And just like an ad out there, like looking for horn players. And, um, I think Sam posted it. Uh, I think the idea started a little before that mainly with, um, Sam Kissick and Jeff Bland. Uh, yeah. Nice. Dylan, Dylan came a little later. Yeah. I I joined in like, uh, uh, was it the end of June or end of July? One of the two, but I, it was a similar situation. I saw like a, uh, internet thing that was like, need a funk player for these two shows. I was like, I'm free those days. I'll, I'll play a couple shows. And I went (laughs) for like practice with them and it was, it was sweet. So that's super cool. I mean, it's not uncommon for people to find, uh, musicians on the internet you know now in this time we're living in the internet Mm. social media it's pretty cool it can be but what's really impressive for me is that this project is barely a year old and there's already a project coming out yeah that's pretty cool and it's i think it's a good testament to how well everybody gels together and how like talented everybody is in the band they're pretty pretty tight it's a lot of fun so you know getting together and meeting those dudes for the first time was it like complicated grooving in with them or did you find it pretty natural just kind of slipping in no it was it was pretty easy for me because they only had uh like four or five songs when i joined in and they they had like a couple guitar players before me kind of work out parts so they had basically an idea of what they wanted um for all the you know tunes i had to learn so that was you know pretty simple i just put my own little spin on it and made it comfortable but um and then all the tunes we've written since then have come together pretty quickly. It's just like a, somebody has a riff. Yeah. And then Jeff listens to it and like busts out the whole <laughs> lyric sheet in like <laughs> one sitting. So it's, yeah, it's, it's nice working with these guys. Everybody's yeah. super talented and just like rearing to go all the time. Mm-hmm. With, cool. uh, with, well, you're going to say something. I'm sorry. Uh, my situation was uh, a little bit different just. Uh, when when we joined, obviously we didn't have original material. Uh, we kind of had to make that as we go along. Um, but in the beginning, we were playing a lot of covers, and most of them did not have saxophone part. So I was just kind of trying to fit my way into that, and some some unique covers came out of it. But uh, it's just an uh, when we write our own music, like I. I generally do more of my uh, writing like towards the end and yeah. fit it, fit into what these guys do. Like they are just like songwriting machines and they come up with grooves and then I try to 
add add another layer to that. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. With like a s- saxophones or horns in general, they tend to be kind of like an auxiliary, like an afterthought. Like it's like they put together the outfit, but like you're the dope watch that really yeah, sets yeah, it yeah, off. The, the, yeah. the sprinkles. On yeah, top, yeah, yeah, yeah. The salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. That kind of shit. Mm-hmm. With um, you know, playing in a band and writing to stuff that essentially, you know. The question I want to ask, let me rewind in my thought. Um, how many of like, how often do you guys get to contribute to the songwriting? Cause it seems like, like I imagine Sam's probably pretty like, not in a bad way, but yeah. just like, I have all these fucking ideas. He does. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's a machine <laughs> with the ideas. So he it, is. It's just like picking, like he'll, we'll, we'll get together. Cause we, we have like a practice spot on the South side. And so that there's usually, you know, some combination of, of us that are over there at any given time. So it, he's, he'll just be like, wrote this riff today. And just, it, but then like 10 minutes later, he'll do that with like, you know, two other completely different riffs that could each be songs on their own, you know? So it's uh-huh. just a matter of like picking one and like, all right, where do we want to go from there? I think a lot of the members of the band like have that kind of spark in them and that, mm-hmm. that, that drive and that creativity. Um, uh, I just think that uh, for whatever reason, he is just totally driven and can just generate. I'm sorry, I, I... quality stuff, dude. Yeah, Constantly. yeah. I I I think that as an artist, sometimes it's really easy to get lost in your head and thinking that something isn't ready. You know, trying to perfect yeah. every little thing. But then there's that opposite mentality where there are people that can just you know they just they do stuff okay here it is it's ready good to go let's move on to the next thing mm-hmm. and i think there there's good and bad to both of those things but uh yeah it's funny with gray walker which is the metal band that i play in it's it's a very opposite scenario you know where it's like every it's a very meticulous time mm-hmm. uh the process for writing songs can it takes a while because it's all uh, I don't know. It's just the way that we do stuff. And I think for them too, a lot of the time it's like, Oh, I figured out this fucking riff. Now I got to figure out how I can actually play it that fast. <laughs> and like, yeah, you know, yeah. like practicing and like getting, getting it up to speed to, uh, and be you able guys, to actually perform it. Yeah. You guys like mess around like different time signatures and stuff. I know that's like, that's occasionally we're not like, time. we're not crazy progressive. We're a or, little bit more <laughs> standard. But we're cool. still pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, and that's if if like one <laughs> one part's not like super locked in, you know, you can tell. And so yeah, that that kind of stuff would definitely take a lot of work. And, and I think that you know, we're, along with Kawano Sour, I think that we have a really big emphasis on we want to play the stuff live. This is why. Yeah. We're doing it, you know, with the EP that's coming out. Um, let's talk about the recording process and what that was like. Um, you know, where did you record it? Uh, audio bridge in uh, Cheswick. Okay. With uh, Ryan Wood. Man. Cool. Had Sweet you ever, place. had either of you like recorded on a on an album prior to this with any other projects? No. That was no. my first studio experience. Yeah. So that's that pretty fucking cool, right? Yeah. It yeah, was, it was exciting. It was really sweet. Did you find the studio experience to be nerve-wracking at all or was it pretty, pretty relaxed? I know for some people it could be kind of weird, like, you know, actually playing stuff like recording and then hearing it played back and like yeah no it's, I mean, sound, it's like hearing your own voice on the phone like right. on the recording for the first time yeah, yeah it's always weird yeah no, it was like it was it was super it was a super relaxed environment but 
it, it was a little strange because we uh we tracked it so the bass and drums tracked together and then uh everybody else kind of went individually or i don't know yeah did, sure did, did ollie track with the bass and drums no no he did it okay yeah so, yeah we did bass so, and drums first yes and then i went in on like a separate day and was just in there like by myself in headphones and that that yeah, was I super imagine- strange like because i you know couldn't because that was i think before the sax or what was i the last i don't remember dude but <laughs> i think you did come in after after we did oh, okay. saxes um but still it was just weird to like be because because everyone else in the band was like in the um the room Oh yeah, you know, they're, just like they're in the control watching. booth, just yeah. watching you, <laughs> just watching, and so. it's not like as loud as you're used to, mm-hmm. and like you can't feel the drums. Right, like it, exactly. It's so weird at first, like yeah. But like I got, I I got used to it pretty quick, and it was yeah. It, it was a it was a positive. Experience. It definitely felt some nerves, but it was like an exciting nerves. You yeah, know? it's just, it means something to you, you know, and you're putting your name on it, and you want it to be good, you know. Absolutely, but, but overall fun. It's just a lot of. A lot of fun. How many tracks are on toys? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's okay. Such a dick. How (laughs) how many tracks are on the EP? Uh, Five. Five. Cool. How long did it take you guys to do the project, recording wise? Um, was it was it just like a number because it it was like scattered? Yeah, it was like split up into a certain amount of days. Yeah, Um, it could be hard whenever, and we're not. uh, None of us are in a position where we have like a record label paying for us to just hang out in a studio right. all week. So it's like, you know, when can I get off work? Time when when can money. I squeeze in here and that and yeah. all that shit? Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, I'm assuming everything was tracked live then, like all the drums and everything. There was no like computer shit done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There was, yeah, yeah, there was no. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. That's a what the because what I what made me think about that was that's the cool thing about bands like you guys versus like what i have to deal with with a lot of metal whereas like a lot of uh heavy metal bands like to record in a way that's not even recording it's like computer programming because they're Mm. just like they're doing all the drums with the computer and replacing them with live drum samples and it's like oh man i didn't realize it oh it's fucking silly it's a there's (laughs) a it's 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 but uh uh yeah so but what i was saying was that with us, we just try to always write stuff that we know we could play live, yeah. so we can like put on a good show. I think that's kind of like the end goal for us, and I would imagine you guys as well. It's just yeah, like, I think we share that philosophy. I mean, putting together that that groove. Anything you make hear a move, that, anything right, you would hear right. that we would record, like what you see is what you would get. Yeah, um, we'd we'd sound very very much the same if you saw us live, and I think that's something i think that that's that's what i dig about bands like you guys and just other bands that are doing more like i don't want to say traditional sounds but like nothing that's like super crazy because a lot of the times like being so tied into metal i'm always getting sent this stuff it's like check out this band they're crazy and i hear it and i'm like oh yeah this is crazy it sounds like a bunch of computers going crazy i don't know <laughs> can they actually do this live like it just sounds so inauthentic and it's like it's crazy to a point that there's like no like emotion or like real feeling in it it's like man like i i i appreciate the this level of intensity yeah it's, it's, it's something it, to behold it, it, it becomes like an intellectual appreciation instead yeah. of like a feeling you yeah know? but like i i think that overall i think the feeling is so much more important than definitely the, the nerdiness of it yeah. but it, you know it can be a fine line i mean you got all this this funk stuff that's in Kawano Sour, and there's like that ability to be technical, 
but being technical in like a tasteful way that's catchy. Right. That could still like, you know, still create an good. earworm and have like a cool little hook. Yeah, as long as it feels good, you know, that's, that's just the aim for, how did, for every minute. How did you get your start, Dylan, with uh, like getting into funk guitar and playing that style of music? Um, hmm. Well, so I, I started playing guitar in like 10th grade. And I started just like strumming acoustic, like playing Jack Johnson songs, you know, and uh, and then I, I wanted to take a little more seriously. So I started like I got a nylon string and started learning classical and jazz and, and stuff. And then uh, when I went to college, I went to a music festival and saw Humphreys McGee the first night. OK. And I was, I was just it f- flipped the switch, I think. Cause then I just wanted to like rock after that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that, and that's the, you know, funk and rock are, there's a lot of intertwining oh, in like the feeling just, yeah. There's like, I feel like dirt and like dirty is a, a good uh, adjective. Sure. That fuzz in the man. middle. Yeah. There. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess that's Humphreys McGee. Dude. They flipped the switch. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> what about you, Rob? Like, um, with sax, I don't know if either of you play any other instruments, so I'm just asking about like the ones you play in Kiwano, but yeah, with... We, we both play a bunch of stuff. I, I would ima- I'd would imagine so. Yeah. That's how, how most of you fucking freak kids are nowadays. I say kids, like, I don't dude. even know how old you are. We, like, oh, <laughs> last night, dude, I, I felt like yeah. an old man after the show we played last night. Oh, a bunch of high school kids, but they absolutely shredded, dude. Yeah, yeah they, that's oh, Age is a number. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with music. And I think, I mean, this is a topic that we can get into in a second, but uh, I'm going to save it right here. I'm going to put this the idea in my hand, and I'm going to hold it, and hold hopefully I don't forget idea. it. I probably fucking will. But <laughs> Rob, sax, how oh, did you get into that? Yeah. Um, I, I grew up, there was a lot of music in my family. I had a bunch of older siblings, so I was always watching them, uh, you know, as they played in band and other things. Uh, growing up, but I started with uh, clarinet maybe in about second grade, somewhere along there. And uh, when I got to middle school, uh, a lot of my older siblings again were in high school, and I saw them playing in the jazz band, and I just really wanted to do that. So I got ahead of that and switched to saxophone in, uh, in between seventh and eighth grade and been playing since. Awesome. Uh, took it to college with me for a little while in undergrad, and been rolling since <laughs> sick yeah so this idea that i had in my hand has to do with kids and talent and i think that one of the positives of all of this crazy fucking music that people are making nowadays is kids are coming up and they're thinking it's normal yeah so they're like learning how to play this crazy shit because that's what's normal to them right versus maybe stuff that you know any of us may have came up listening to you know what i mean it was just like when i was a kid it was like you know, grunge. And I was like now, pushing it. Now there's like Anything kids that are listening to shit like Chon and Polyphia and stuff Dude. like that. That's Chon is fucking awful. psychotic. Yeah. And it's like, no wonder there's fucking like, you know, 10 year olds that are shredders at guitar because they're listening to shit mm. like that. It's like, yeah, this is like the norm. So I got, and like, you know, it's all, you know, you, musicians want to be the best they can be, you know, always want to push yourself. And if that's what you're surrounded by is just crazy fucking talent. And other people that push themselves. Yeah. It's just a festering pool of that creates. Awesomeness. 
yeah sure <laughs> I got, something I got like that <laughs> some but I, I was trying just yeah i don't know what i'm trying to say really no, I, I, know, I know what you mean man <laughs> prior to kawano sour you know what was your individual relationships with uh any sort of a local music scene or underground music scene where either of you tied into that in any way no no not really um other than stuff with school i went to uh, case western in cleveland uh for a while was involved in stuff there but since then um no nothing really in terms of getting out and playing gigs did you ever go to any shows or you're just like really disconnected from it um no definitely still definitely still as a viewer okay yeah, yeah. but like but as playing, a participant playing, no. yeah as a participant no just uh no <laughs> what about yeah. you when i when i first moved here uh like like two years ago ish i um i went to the like the music i, I moved into dormont and um I went to the music store, Lawrence Music, there and met a dude. And I was just like, I, ju- I just moved here trying to like meet people to play with. And he, he told me about a couple open jams. And the, the first one I went to was the one at James Street. And that was still happening, which was that was sweet. And I, I just met like uh, I met a guy named A Money there. That was the first guy I, I played with. He's like a, a singer songwriter um, that needed a guitar player. So I, I just like played with as yeah many and networking and getting as many different stuff. where did you come here from maryland from okay like, yeah for like the maryland. the first solid group i i've i found i went i went to a vinyl night at the park house and met uh jordan the bass player from uh a band we're both in actually uh bow tank okay and he he knew like a or i i brought a, a wolf pack album and a bernard wright album and he was like you funky <laughs> like essentially i was just sitting in sitting next to him at the bar i was like yeah man he was, he was like i play bass i play guitar and then uh just started jamming and that uh that that's that's still going on we're about to release an album with them in the next couple months that'll be sweet oh no shit so you recorded that too yeah yeah so we, that was that recorded, recorded after that, the no. kawano album then or it was like around the same time no, it was around the same time November. yeah did you do that at the same the, studio? The tracking was a little after most of the tracking that we did for Kawano, but yeah, but yeah, at the same studio. Or did you? Uh, that no, we did else? that at a uh, very tight. Ah, shout outs to Matt. Yeah, yeah, Matt yeah. it was awesome. Sweet. Yeah, um, those experiences were awesome, but yeah, yeah, they're like different but great because we we did that all live, so like we all played at once, and that was it. It was hard, like without a click track or anything. It was yeah, it, we, it was tough, but it was really fun. We recorded. Um, our f- the first Grey Walker album we recorded with Matt. Nice. And cool. then the one that we just we put out one last year, we did that one ourselves. Nice. That so. must have been tough. It was it was a learning journey. It was a learning experience. It was fun. We all had experience with recording and producing in the past, but it was definitely a much bigger project than we had taken on. Mm. Can I interge- real quick and I revise my statement? Uh before I got with Kawano, um, because he reminded me when he was talking about open stages, but um <laughs> was jamming with a lot of really awesome people at a open stage at the Oaks. Okay. And, oh uh, yeah, dude, some, I, some shout outs I want to make. That, actually Rob that was Thomas, the first. Jessica Jess Sides, that's what she goes by. Um Sean Hummel, Steve Duffy, mm-hmm. some people that got me back into music. And just one 
wanted to got you back into music got me back into music okay i I had not been playing for like a couple years so as of like a year ago oh really yeah so what the fuck was up with that um i don't know uh i I, i've been away from school uh it was just like i don't know like life life got in the way i mean it it, music didn't music didn't work for me at first um and I didn't really like get a get a anything to really take off for me after school, and um, so I went a different path. Did some machining. I'm still a machinist. Yeah. Um, and just I don't know. That's the way things happen. But There's I'm happy to be that. playing again now. Yeah. Here we are, yeah. man. Yeah. Shredding the game. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. You know that's that happens in life. Sometimes you take steps away from things. It's just. Makes you appreciate it all the more when you come back, right? Exactly. So Timing's right now, so I'm just rolling with it. Yeah, (laughs) so was it like a a situation where your friends got you back into doing some music stuff and then you started looking for bands to play with and that's how you ended up? Yeah, mainly um, just old friends, uh, some of whom that I mentioned that um, just reconnected with and started, you know, just like the jamming in the basement type of thing and just playing again. That's the Um, other really cool thing that I kind of envy about um, bands or musicians that are in that social circle that you're in. You know, we don't get jam nights with metal bands. It doesn't happen. It's a lot harder to network in that community. Like all you need to do is like all you can do is really just go to other shows and hope that, you know, somebody in one of those bands is – not already in four other bands is down to play in your (laughs) fucking band you know it's 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 funny i feel like uh anytime a metal band breaks up in pittsburgh it's kind of like this thing where like everybody's ears perk and they're like all right let's get them exactly (laughs) a little draft action Uh totally totally you know what i mean that's fine uh with um the the boogie funk daydream ep Again, release date on Valentine's Day, Valentine's February Day. 14th, and Warrior then a release show a couple days after, February 16th at Cativo. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else is on the show? I imagine it's probably uh, some of the, the three of her circus family, probably to no, some extent. Not really? No. Well, I mean, there, there's, yeah, there's yeah. like, they'll, like, the 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 other acts. So it's uh, the the Chloe Weiss Collective. Okay, I'm not familiar with and that. And then, uh, oh, she's she's great. She's um She plays in... Like a band called Working Breed too. I okay, think. I've heard that name. Yeah, they're they're super sweet. Um, <laughs> but and then uh, the Mo Rats as as well. Mo Rats are good friends. Uh, our tenor sax player Justin Menzino. I'm, I'm gonna gloss over what I was gonna say. Uh, Ju- Justin Menzino plays with them. Like, okay. So um, yeah, they're great. It's gonna be a lot of awesome music that night. There'll be some Force guest appearances too. I understand. Yeah. It's it's really funny now. I feel like it's so rare for me to meet somebody that's in one band anymore. Everybody yeah, yeah, is like, uh, yeah, I don't, it's pretty true. It's just a just we are mentally all running through everyone in our band, and do you? Everyone's in two at least. I yeah. so, I sometimes wonder that we might be shooting ourselves in the foot sometimes because we're like oversaturating our own market by creating more bands yeah. <laughs> to play. Yeah. But if you're doing bands in but... different styles and shit like that, then it's a different, mm, it's a different, different you know, different intentions. 
Don't you want to kind of play every style though a little bit? Totally, uh, totally. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's just the thing that like I, I'm always analyzing and thinking about things, and if you know, is this really the, the best idea? Like there was a time when I was playing in, I was playing in three different bands that were all like, in like a metal category. I mean, they were. If you want a subgenre of the metal, they were different, but it was all it was all guitars and screaming. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was maybe it was too much. It was fun for a while, but it's just a lot to manage. Yeah, like doing all that, keeping all those different tunes like separate. You know, separate like, categorized in your mind. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then like you're trying to uh, book shows and all this scheduling conflicts. I had three jobs yeah. at the time too. So I was in, I was in three bands, I had three jobs and I was doing like my hip hop shit too. Wow, man. That was a nightmare. Do you have time to breathe or what? <laughs> oh yeah, I did. <laughs> but uh, I was no, I was then... breathing into microphones playing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right on. No, uh, actually four members of Kwano Sour are also in Bo Tang. So there's like when it it's it, it's kind of one and one of the other, you know. Like so four of the six, it, huh? Yeah, four of the six and then um it, you know it's just deciding like we're, we're all getting together no matter what but are we working on boat tank stuff or come on, yeah stuff, you know sometimes, <laughs> Product, yeah, sometimes you know the like productivity is important so is there yeah. any other stuff you know coming up let's say like post the release show like what else do you guys have on the plate right now a lot a lot yeah a lot in the works um in terms of upcoming gigs uh we have several in march um Including three one at the Park House, uh, three nine full pint, three twenty one at Gooskies, and three twenty nine um, at the Bushnell. But um, we're currently working on really expanding uh, our working set. Um, we're looking to get, we're looking to uh, be able to perform long, much longer sets, like three hour sets. Start getting paid multiple for some sets, shit. yeah, well, but also yeah. just just to be able to, you know, don't you know, mix up. You're just in it for the money. <laughs> uh, you know, you can that way we can play <laughs> like you know yeah. three shows yeah. in a week or something with different set lists. Oh know? yeah, that's sick. So if it's, hell yeah, if you know if if they're all in Pittsburgh, say like you know people can come every night and get a different show. Yeah, right yeah, now. you don't know what you're going to yeah, get. Yeah, we don't want to yeah. play the same thing every time you and come and see us. We want to no, give, yeah. give you a special night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think that, that being able to be fluid with the live sets keeps it fun for not only the attendees and your fans or your friends that you drag to every right. show, you know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever it is. Uh, but it keeps it fresh for yourselves too. And yeah, I think no that it's... It's good just to remember how to play those songs and play them in a live environment because I, for me, I feel like I can practice something no in a thousand times, but it always feels different in a live environment. Yeah. So being able to play that stuff actually out in front of people is like really the only way to really get that stuff locked down. Yeah, and also I, I, I feel like if if you're playing the same songs all the time, I feel like you you'll tend at least I tend to just like playing the same way every time you know like figure out eventually dial something in like this works that's how i'm gonna play it but like you know if you rotate the songs and then have a little time in between each one like when you come back to that too maybe you'll do it a little differently because yeah. you have all this had all that stuff in between you know so 
it's 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 fun to kind of i've been doing this rap shit for a real long time and i have a shit ton of material and i'm like trying to start going back into the back catalog and like reintroducing some of this uh old stuff yeah man, into it now that's, but that's it's what I'm talking it's about, it's yeah. hard because like i didn't have a band before now i do have a band so a lot of the stuff i want to reach into is like stuff that i i did before we had the band so it'd be like a much bigger like thing Andy. so yeah. uh that's i think it'll be fun instead of like taking a break from writing new stuff and keep on moving forward just kind of revisiting some of that stuff that got abandoned and kind of yeah. give it its uh Give it its proper time to shine. The modern twist on fucking what would you want to do with it now? You know, uh-huh. with um, you know, songwriting uh, individually with you two, like outside of Kawano Sour, outside of your other projects. What's that like? Do you take the time to just work on any ideas, or you just kind of focus on the bands? Yeah, I mean, with with the bands, with all the bands I play, and it's like I'm mainly just do guitar stuff, you know, but um. Like my my roots are like folk music, you know, uh, or not roots, but like I I was really into that when I first started playing guitar, and um, so if so if I just like think of some lyrics, I'll just you know pick up an acoustic guitar and just you know write a folk song, and I really really enjoy doing that. So that's that's a nice kind of separate outlet, songwriting wise. But other other than that, if I just come up with like so a sweet guitar thing, I usually just bring it to one of the bands. What about you, Rob? I don't know. It's an interesting thing to try to explain, but what I do know is that when it comes to writing stuff on my own, I'm not as that's that's not exactly my forte. Um, but given a group project, You're more of a team player, right? Yeah, I, I feel like that's my strength. Is kind of coming in and you know seeing what needs done, or if 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 it needs an extra layer, or you know like refining things. Um, is what I'm really good at. Uh, I used to do a lot of arranging. Well, not a lot, but some arranging in college. Yeah. And kind of have that kind of ear for, like, if you give me, like, the ictus or, or, like, the idea at the beginning, like, I can help you make a really good project. But yeah. that that's where I kind of struggle is the idea at the beginning. Yeah, you always know just the perfect tweaks to make to just, <laughs> you know, make it punch that i'll much stick more my harder. fingers in your stuff <laughs> it's like once you <laughs> make it feel so good <laughs> you have a hard time finding the entrance but once you're in the maze you can find the way out yeah that's that's a beautiful way to put it <laughs> we've been talking about all of this recording and going to studios and stuff like that and sam had mentioned to me something about building a studio is that something that you guys are doing yeah it's in the Sour works. tank studios Sour has tank a name studios. already keep your uh-huh. eyes open. <laughs> so what sweet. can you tell me about this like what what's the goal to like record yourself record other bands record people like all your projects and all, all that, above. all that jazz. Yes. All the above. So where are you doing this at? Like at your practice space or another location? Mm-hmm. At, That's the, at the space. space. Yep. Tight. Yeah. So. Yeah, we've been uh, investing in a lot of gear to do it. Um, we're in the process of getting a whisper booth or some kind of vocal booth, but we're very close and uh, super excited about it. Um, mm-hmm. in multiple realms. I mean, it, it'll be huge to just be able to record our, our own rehearsals in terms of just refining. And, that's the being able to uh, remember, uh, you like, know, remember jams. That's, yeah, that's totally. definitely huge. And there's multiple other options. 
that that arise with having those capabilities but um not to mention just being able to but i I guess what i'm saying is i'm mostly excited about it for our own kawano purposes (laughs) totally no i think that for our own band purposes it's so crucial for bands to be able to track themselves in some way and record themselves and just get that understanding of the process. Yeah. I think that it's a really good idea for bands if they're doing like a, a big project to do that with a producer and have other engineers so you're not focusing on two or three different jobs at once. You know what I mean? You just kind of want to show up and play and have somebody else record. But still being able to have those resources at your fingertips, you learn a lot. And then the next time you're in the studio, if you're working with somebody else, like you can actually offer input on like, things on like a very technical level or say like hey i want to try this or do this plug-in or this effect and like let's try putting the mic here because you know we did that there and like i it got the sound that i wanted from it like it just yeah. it'll expand your brain and even outside of kawano sour or any other projects it's just fun to learn yeah, uh, yeah indeed a, yeah <laughs> like i didn't know anything about it i don't know nothing about technology all of this stuff yeah yeah, so um, it's it, it's a nice like comfortable risk free environment to learn in and like put the time into trial and error you know those that, figuring out why stuff works and why it doesn't. I got into making music through um through electronic music and making beats and stuff like that. That that was my gateway. So I have a perspective that some other people don't have, where like the only way I could make music is actually by recording it. Like, you know, you don't really pick up a, a a beat machine and just jam on it. I mean, you can, but it only goes so far. Like, mm-hmm. to actually structure songs together, right? you have to record it. So I pretty much started recording immediately. And then whenever I started getting into playing in bands, I always had this mindset, like, because I was so used to the way I would write songs would be me recording part by part and then moving things around. And I was, like, essentially demoing as I was writing simultaneously. So I always tried to do that with every single band that I played in. And for a long time, a lot of people thought I was crazy because they just weren't used to recording like that or writing like that. So it can be weird, but like now I totally get it. But at the time when I was like younger, I just didn't understand it. Cause that was the way my brain worked was like, that's how you write songs. You know, you you record them. But uh, that's, that's not how everybody writes songs. That was just me. That's that's a like a different. I feel like you can take your time, think about you know each section individually, so mm-hmm. you know, see what you want to do. I mean, there, there's positives and negatives to everything, but mm-hmm. I, overall, the more that you know, the better off you are. It doesn't hurt you to have more resources, other than if you have so many resources that you can't decide what to do or right. when to do it. You know, option paralysis. <laughs> it can be that could be a fucking problem with. The release of Boogie Funk Daydream, the EP. That's that's the, I'm calling it Boogie Funk Daydream, the EP. And I want to see that on. I hope that's on the album artwork, the EP. You know, like the movie. Oh, oh no, that's yeah. it. It should <laughs> okay. be Boogie Funk Daydream, the movie. That's actually a good question. Music videos. What are you guys doing? Any of that kind of stuff? Like for the album, you got anything set up? Ideas are brewing. Definitely. Um. No, no, like. Nothing in the can right now. Right, just... right. We're, it, it's definitely in the, in our in our brains, you know. Yeah, you got to get some video of 
even if it's just performing, you know, like good performance videos. So yeah, people can, a nice live video would be sick. Yeah, people seem to really like that shit. I can post uh, fucking song, like links to songs all fucking day. Yeah, but, but if I have a video of us just playing, like, you know, it seems like people actually uh, pay attention to that stuff. I we have one live watching video. Stuff, yeah, yeah um, there may be more coming. Tight. Uh, but other than that, for videos, no, mainly just a lot of concepts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Dylan get nerdy about that stuff sometimes, but it's fun to think about. It'll be fun to make one happen soon. Yeah, yeah. It's I always have a thousand ideas for music videos, but my resources are super limited. Right. Um, yeah, I was I was about to say I don't I don't like know how to work a camera or yeah. anybody <laughs> that does have have any of that stuff. So. I, so, I mean, like I Wouldn't have know where to start. I, I I'm in a situation where I have I have the equipment like I have a we're, we're looking at a camera right now it's, it works it's a camera it's not bad but also like how am I gonna shoot my own video that I'm in very carefully <laughs> just put cleverly. it on like, like just put it on a tripod robot put it on a tripod <laughs> and wrap in front of it and also I think there's going back to what I said earlier about it being important for bands to work with you know outside producers and things like that how i think that's cool i think it's also a good idea for you know bands to work with people that actually do music videos yeah that, yeah. that have experience because like, like directors and like, like they know what for one or... they know what they're doing and two like if it's on a on a, a local level they probably are trying to do more stuff so they could get yeah. better right you know what i mean like hell, you know true. artists helping each other exactly in that sense. yeah i think that that's there's plenty of people that do things it's just a matter of indeed linking up with them and you know making a decision on some ridiculous idea and figuring yeah, out how yeah, you're gonna make it, it work down. yeah down. yeah with um shows outside of pittsburgh you guys got anything on the horizon in terms of you know getting in the van or multiple vehicles or however you're gonna do it to to get out there it's another thing we're really excited about um you know i've got a lot of commitments you know here locally but uh, think about some weekend trips. Uh, move around. Uh, yeah, spit it out. Weekend trips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, that's better than nothing. You know, it's. I feel like with a band like Kawano Sour, the style of music that you play and the the level of proficiency that you perform it at, there's a lot of potential platforms for you guys to like fit in a lot of different spaces you know what i mean whether mm. it's you know you do a, a two-hour set at a bar some night and just fucking you know rock the house and make a little bit of money at the end of the night or just playing a fucking half hour set at a house show somewhere like it'll be real easy for you to figure out weekends because you can apply yourselves to a lot of different uh live environments yeah. versus like the metal band where it's like you know, we have very specific things that we could do. We could try to play some things, but like, you're the kind of band that like, they could be playing and most, even if somebody's like, maybe not super into funk, it's like, oh, okay, well there's a live band playing. It's fine. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's decent background noise at worst. But if like you go to a bar and like, you don't want to hear a metal band and there's a fucking metal band playing, there's, like that could ruin your night. That's all you're hearing, yeah. I'm totally <laughs> empathetic to that. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not as a, it's not as welcoming for some people. Right. So definitely uh, keep that in mind and, you know, take advantage of 
your ability to kind of be chameleons while on the road yeah. and like you know bring a hat rack fuck I mean, <laughs> worst case scenario you guys could show up at a fucking open mic night and probably at least network a bit you know yeah like, if it's like a new city or something that yeah. would be a bad idea yeah it's like a nice like trial run too of like it's not like you're going on tour you know it's just you're going for for a weekend you know yeah, yeah reaching new years you know right one show at a time it's a uh, you know it's you know it's like, you're not the, si- the signing up your life for it the for pennies a couple months up. yeah I mean, I don't know of like very many bands that do those like multiple month tours anymore. Like, unless it's like you know, very very proficient bands. But even most of those bands, if you look at their schedules, they still have like, it's like oh, they're only playing, uh, you know, Thursday through Sunday, and then they're flying back home, and then they do the next Thursday through Sunday. Like, there's bands that are able to do that crazy fucking shit like that. Yeah, or, like, you know, they tour for two weeks off for a week, tour for two weeks off for a week, because they have yeah, they usually, have those resources. I don't think there's... I mean, there's definitely bands that are out there grinding it nonstop, but... That's, that, that would be tough. That's I, Honestly, that that's the goal for me, but <laughs> it, it, would, it, it would be... Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's just it's just hard unless like it depends on your market. Like I always feel so bad for bands that hit me up that are like they're trying to come through here and play a show on a Monday night, and I'm just like, uh, not like, worth it. <laughs> Pittsburgh on a Monday night, like fuck, like if it's somebody that I know, I'm just like, look, I would rather if you guys are coming through town, like I would rather you just come. You can stay at my place and we'll just fucking go get some food and fucking hang out. Yeah, just take just the night off, you know, yeah. just take the night off because <laughs> otherwise you're going to end up at a fucking venue playing to nobody, just wasting your time. You're better off getting burritos and chilling yeah. if you want to do that. Otherwise, <laughs> just keep driving to the next city. Uh, I mean, if, if it's at the right spot and promoted, right. I don't know. I, 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 I feel like I've been to a cool monday oh, it's, show it's not impossible hey, yeah, they happen but, but it, like, it can be rough it just depends yeah, on the style of music you know what i mean like in, uh style of music and like you know fucking people will hit you up like three weeks in advance can we get a yeah, show on a monday like, like bro that ain't happening sorry yeah the people that are there on that monday are all about it though that's true yeah that's, <laughs> they're either true. all about it or they're extra miserable because they got dragged <laughs> out and it's a fucking monday <laughs> fair enough <laughs> With, um, you know, playing shows a lot in Pittsburgh, this was something that we kind of, you kind of glossed over because you mentioned your dates coming up through like March. Yes. And it seems like, you know, there's almost a show every week. Um, there's some people that are very paranoid about, you know, oversaturating the market to be, to business speak, but you know, how do you guys feel about it? Or is that again, part of the reason why you're looking to get longer sets so you don't have to worry about you know, playing the same set every week and still being able to play out a whole bunch. Um, yeah, are are you, are you at, talking like re- reaching like playing like you playing so much in Pittsburgh? Is that something that you worry about as a band? There's some bands that are like that you know like oh you should only play like your hometown like you know once every other month, but then they don't oh, ever they don't, don't they don't why. ever. I know people that are like that, and I oh. guess that's fine if you're playing out of town a lot. Yeah, but they're also not playing out of town, and it's well, like, that, fuck! How are you ever yeah, gonna get good as a band if you're down, not fucking playing live? Right. I could see that down the road, but right now, no, we're just pretty much playing around Pittsburgh. And yeah, and, and no, enjoying it, it. Yeah, and just like honing in the sound, you know. And um, I think explain uh, uh, expanding the set and getting you know more material and being able to rotate the sets, you know, 
like we were talking about earlier, not playing the same stuff every night is like that keeps it worth it. I mean, I, I feel like I already said this, but yeah, uh, I understand. I feel yeah, like, yeah, you know, I feel like it's also the way that I look at it is even though we're in one city, sometimes it feels like, like a half dozen different cities because of all the little bubbles, yeah. like the people that, you know, will go see you at Cativo, you know, is not the same crowd that's going to be in a basement in Oakland. And that's or not at the, the same. like the club cafe. Or yeah, something. that's not the same crowd that's going to be in, like the people on the south. south side. I know a lot of people in the south side don't like to leave the south side. Yeah. You know? So you like you got to. Yeah. Anytime yeah. I have a show in south side immediately, I'm like, OK, like who do I know that never leaves these that I can maybe get to leave <laughs> these for like a couple hours to come watch us down the street. Right. And then you hit up those people. Right. And then if I'm playing a Cativo, it's like, OK, well, who the who fuck do I know, I know on this side still. of town? Yeah. It's so I think in that in that way it's really easy to like stay consistent in playing in Pittsburgh and not um burn not, not not burnout. And if you're able to combine that with having like rotating live sets and things like mm. that, that's probably like a killer combination. Yeah, and then and like once we uh like the the plan is uh this like once spring hits into the summer to do, you know, weekends out in, in different cities like uh, like Buffalo, I think we're playing like Philly and West Virginia or something. Uh, Ma- I think there was, there was a Massachusetts. There's a list right here. Yeah. <laughs> Harrisburg. Oh, that's the Philly trip. Yeah. So and so and like and festivals, too. We're going to be, you know, try to get on some local festivals uh i was just so asking then, like, about if, that like if you guys were going to be doing any of that stuff then there's some of that stuff starting to get organized mm-hmm. yeah yeah we're putting in uh applications you know and uh and and so when we play just like a you know like a cativo or a club cafe show or something during the week you know in the summer that's or like you know pittsburgh we're just honing in that sound to take elsewhere you know make make sure it sounds really good and tight and stuff you know yeah i, I it's like i i i I really, really stand by, like, I think that, you know, practicing is super important, obviously, but you really never learn the songs until you play them live. And the more that you can play them live in front of people in an environment that you're not totally in control of, like, I think we when things go wrong, like, how do you react to it? Exactly. That's a big part, dude. I learn more from every show than any practice. If you put them, you know, pound for pound or Mm -hmm. whatever you like to say, for sure. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, and I like when I when I see bands live, I I kind of like to watch for that, like see if they like mess up at all, in 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 any way, just like just to see how they how they react, you know, because that's like I've I've seen like somebody break a string or something and just like get so down and like oh, pissed no. and shit, you know yeah. what I mean? And like that's so that's when when you see that at a show, you're like, damn, well, when I'm playing, I'm probably never gonna do that because like I, they just oh, yeah. like takes me out of the moment, you know, seeing that. But like if that happens and somebody's like, oh shit, and just like oh, you know, changes it and like, damn guys, you know. Also, oh, what, yeah. the, what so. the other guys do around them, yeah, because you know, like right. co- cover me, I broke my string, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So and that's that's just part of the what you learn when you play. So the more you play, the more you learn. Absolutely. Indeed. So wrapping up, you know, one last time, the Boogie Funk Daydream, the album, the movie, the EP. <laughs> Whatever the dream. it is. Yeah, the dream. That's Valentine's Day, 2019, February 14th, right? Mm. And the release show, February 16th at Cativo. 
Uh, shout out who's performing on that one more time for me. Chloe Weiss Collective and the Moat Rats. Word. Kiwano Sour as well. Us will be playing there. <laughs> that night. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, keep an ear out for that. Um, I'm imagining that will be um, across the, the internet, all the digital platforms and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, keep an uh, eye out. This episode's going up on February 11th, so it'll be just a couple of days before the release. Perfect. So cool. That week. So yeah, check it out. You know, uh, go onto your your music platform of uh, preference and type in Kawano Sour and listen to the grooves. Mm-hmm. It'll make you move. Or whatever your bio was. I don't remember. Something like that. There's some <laughs> rhyming. You'll find it. What's... Uh... Because moving makes you feel alive. <laughs> yeah, it was something like that. And uh, social media, you're on all that shit, right? There's a Facebook page. Yeah, Facebook, probably Instagram, Instagram. Tumbleweed. <laughs> Tumbleweeds, yeah. Uh, what, I don't know Tinder. if there's any other shit. Tinder. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Cool. Can you imagine if there was like a band Tinder? <laughs> yeah. Like, like to, how uh, that's how you shows book shows. Like, yeah. It's a gross way to live your life. Uh, that was interesting. uh, I just watched that, uh, that documentary on the fire festival. Did either of you watch that? No, Mm -hmm. I haven't heard about it. Oh man. That was a, that was that big music festival that they were trying to have in the Bahamas that, um, was supposed to be like, uh, for a weekend, have this exclusive getaway and get to hang out with the bands and these supermodels and all this stuff. But it was like a big disaster. And like this dude scammed a ton of people out of a shit ton of money. He's in prison right now. And this was recently. This happened like a year ago. I bet you make a movie about that. Well, they made the documentary. Oh, I guess. Yeah. The documentary, it's, it's, if you want to, a crash course in like what not to do when booking uh, a music event. But the reason why I thought about it is because this company got their start fire was supposed to be an app that was essentially Mm. going to be like uber but for booking bands where like you know how do i get a hold if i want to book uh ariana grande for a show like she's she would be an artist signed up through fire and you could go on you could see the dates that she was available through this app and then book her for the fee i mean it would be like an exclusive thing it wouldn't be like just anybody could use it but that was the idea was to put like more transparency between uh concert promoters and the artists kind of cut out a lot of middle bullshit yeah not a which bad on concept. the surface that's a fucking fantastic idea <laughs> Absolutely. but along the way they decided the way they were going to promote this event or promote this app was to do this festival this and the festival fucking took over Flop, everything huh? and ruined the whole fucking oh, thing man it's on if you if either of you do Netflix, it's worth watching. It's pretty okay. entertaining. Fire Festival? Yeah, F Y R E. Okay. I think the documentary is just called Fire. Cool. Definitely worth watching. And yeah, that's, I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. And I think that that's that's about it. I think we went over everything. Cool. Dylan, Rob, thanks for coming by and chatting up. Was there anything else on that fucking paper that we didn't nope. that we didn't check go over? Thing, look at the paper. <laughs> I think so. You know, like, oh, you you remembered all the gigs. That's sick. Good memory, man. I think he was just looking at it very far away. Like, I saw him just kind of like... Eyeballing. Looking down his beard at it. (laughs) Tight. So, that's it. I'll do my outro after this. And uh, thank you guys for coming over. Thanks for having me. Happy Sunday. Thanks for having me, Peace out. Cool.